Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, the podcast I got bored of trying to find clever ways to introduce about a month ago. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and every week I tell you about some cool people who I think were cool. Today, my guest is Alex Beals, the host of Onderstrom, a radical Dutch podcast. Alex, how are you doing, and how badly did I pronounce the name of your podcast and or your name? Hi, uh, lovely to be here. I'm great, a little bit sweaty. Um... Yep, pronunciation was uh, was okay. Um, <laughs> it should be understrom. Understrom. Like, oh. Okay. Understrom. Yeah. Okay. What is that podcast? It's uh yeah. So like like you say, it's a radical podcast. It's uh, monthly, and it combines basic uh, radical uh, leftist political concepts and a more sort of like practical uh, aspect about. Uh, how do we organize uh, and like my personal ideas about it? Okay. I uh, sometimes I go like into like more philosophy esque stuff, but mostly it's these these two two sides. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we also have Sophie on the call. Sophie is our producer. How are you doing, Sophie? It just reminds me whenever I hear you know something not in the English language how fucking ugly English is. Like <laughs> Dutch words are so much cooler. English words are so basic. There, it's like you know, it's depressing, really. But yeah. you know. grass is always greener, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how do you say how do you say cool people who did cool stuff in Dutch? Uh, coole mensen die coole dingen doen. Way better. Yeah, way, way, way better. Cooler. Way yep. better. One hundred percent. Um, but yeah, that's just my thought at the beginning of this episode. Way better. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're changing the name of the podcast. Yeah. Um. Okay, so so first of all, I think Sophie is wearing a black hoodie in honor of today's topic. Actually, I don't know if there's a hood. It might just be a black sweatshirt. There, there's definitely no hood, but it is a okay. black sweatshirt. And we have Alex on because today we are talking about rad Dutch stuff. Specifically, we're going to talk about some people who had a problem and they went out and solved that problem uh, for themselves and for others, which is kind of the basis of being a cool person from my current point of view. And the problem that these particular folks were facing was that people didn't have enough houses to sleep in. The solution was, well, there are some empty houses. So why don't we break into those houses and then sleep there? Because today we're going to talk about the Dutch squatters movement that peaked in the 80s but has gone on for decades. They started out looking for shelter. They wound up preventing real estate prospectors from kind of destroying half the buildings in the Netherlands, all while building the infrastructure that birthed a lot of the modern anti-fascist movement, not just the Dutch anti-fascist movement, but a lot of the anti-fascist movement in the West. Alex, have you ever heard of squatting? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have. Uh, so I have. It's uh, If you're any kind of radical or activist in the Netherlands, you, you really can't get around it. Um, like all stable social centers that are available to the movement, or most of them, uh, have a history in squatting, like there are legalized squats or uh, squats that have remained. 
and like a, a lot of like you say like infrastructure uh, and activist groups are organized around squatted spaces or they they meet there they form there and like a lot of the, the networks of people mm-hmm. who've been active for a long time or who get active often they come in through squatting squatting actions or projects that are related to the squatting movement yeah yeah yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I think that when people, especially from the United States, or I can only speak to people from the United States, when they start seeing squatting in Europe in general, but in the Netherlands in particular, it um, is often fairly inspirational. And I I try to be a, a somewhat inspirational podcast. This is why I'm really excited to talk about this topic, which I think actually sometimes annoys the Dutch squatters that Americans are like, you all are doing so great. And they're like, everything's actually really hard. Yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah. Yeah. Also, people who, who come by who are like smitten, like, oh, there's all these, mm-hmm. these spaces and these things you can do. And then like, even like uh, people like who move here and then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, it's actually, it's actually not that great. It's not, you don't actually have that much room to maneuver. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, that's why it's not a happy, perfect utopian thing, but it's still a really interesting thing. Um, and I will argue that this episode, this this idea starts where all things start with a bed, a table, and a chair. <laughs> because in 1914, the Supreme Court of the Netherlands ruled that in order to prove that you live somewhere, all you need to prove that you are the occupant of a building is you need a bed, a table, and a chair. Uh, if you live in a space and you have those three things, you are the occupant of that space. Not the owner, but the occupant. So... In the 1930s, during the Great Depression, tons of people in the Netherlands started moving into empty houses. Um, But as far as I can tell, didn't conceptualize of themselves as a movement. This wasn't the squatters movement, this was people squatting. In 1945, after the expulsion of the Nazis, more people went and did the same thing. Um, But most squatters in both of these times were kind of just either secretly occupying a place or they were moving in publicly, but in order to force the owner's hand into renting to them. And both are super valid things to do, but neither are the sort of politicized squatting that we'll be talking about in a moment. Yeah, like this is kind of just any squatting, like squatting is of all times. People have always squatted to some extent, but like yeah. having it like as this politicized movement is quite new. Yeah, totally. And in the 1960s in the Netherlands, it started to change. So real estate speculation Uh, Or if you're feeling a bit less polite, you can call this house milking. It's a very simple concept. You buy up houses and then you leave them empty, waiting for them to be worth more, like when the economy approves. Since there's fewer houses on the market, the housing prices go up and the houses you own are now worth more. Uh, Even more sinister than leaving these houses intentionally empty when people need houses, you can leave the buildings to be neglected and so that all these old historic houses in the Netherlands has beautiful old architecture, Um, all of these old houses, they fall into ruin. And as soon as they start falling into ruin, it's easier for the owners to get demolition permits to like knock them over and build cheap modern condos and shit like that. Um, So letting houses fall into ruin is good business. And I would argue that this is a bad thing. Every part of what I just described. Yeah, it's it's interesting Mm because this this thing uh, is still still very current. even if it's not for demolition, then it can be like, we, we are, we're going to renovate it, but mm-hmm. to renovate, it's going to take a while. So the occupants need to go away, even if like if there's social rent, social mm-hmm. housing, um, then this letting things fall into disrepair can still be used now uh, as a tactic to force the people out or to, to bully them out of the social housing, mm-hmm. to then renovate the space and then bring in buyers instead or like uh, more expensive rent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that's one of the things that's kind of sad about like a lot of this stuff is that this was a thing that did a lot of good, um, but continues all of the problems that the Dutch squatters were facing at this time are still things faced um, all over the world. This is probably not going to be too unfamiliar to to people in the US. Right now we're having this huge wave of basically large companies buying up all the available houses. um, And the housing market is kind of going wild right now, just as homelessness is starting to um, pick up again in the U.S. And then it's actually interesting, the numbers of uh, unhoused folks in the U.S. isn't incredibly higher than 15 years ago. Um, but the 
it's way more visible in a lot of ways, and a lot of the fights around it are being a lot more politicized. Uh, okay, so in the 1960s in the Netherlands, housing speculation was all the rage with the capitalists and future friends of the pod, the Provo movement, who were kind of a... And tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I, I, I have the Provos as kind of a, a super political Dutch post-hippie movement. Yeah, that sound, sounds about right. They're often described as, uh, as anarchists, mm-hmm. um, but, but they're also closely related to... Uh, uh, to hippie, the hippie movement, yeah. Okay. So they started doing some of the first politicized squatting in the Netherlands that I was able to find. They would start squatting buildings in order to fight against speculation. And squatting got its modern name at the time during that period, uh, Kraken or Cracking. So squatters got the name Crackers, which is funny to an American audience, I have to admit. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, so in... in uh... Uh, so I've been to squats where there's banners like "Release the Kraken," like "Release the Kraken." <laughs> yeah, um, because it's you know it's a, it has this big, uh, big squid with like uh, crawled in crowbars and bandanas and uh, you know free food and stuff. Yeah, um, awesome. and sometimes they ma- they make them out to draw them like really cuddly or really threatening. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's also funny because the word uh, mm-hmm. "Kraken." Mm-hmm. Is in a way, it's more menacing than squatting because squatting is this sort of like uh, sitting on your on your heels. Yeah. Um, whereas kraken is like to to crack something, like a nutcracker mm-hmm. or like a safe cracker, um, which which connects to this like uh, like the conservatives, liberal conservatives in the Netherlands. They always try to do this thing where they say trying to make uh, squatting into this crime, right? So they're uh-huh. they have this slogan. It's like uh, kraken is inbreken. Yeah. Okay. Squatting is burglary. Yeah. Um, but but they say but like the it's name a bad works thing. for that, right? Because it's like like it's on the same page as like safe mm-hmm. cracking, house cracking. Yeah. Um, so it, it has it has some power in the word, but it's also like yeah in the crime area. No, and I like it. And well, but one of the things I ran across is it claimed that the word is derived from old Dutch thieves can't. And if that's true, I like it because things that make the real world like Dungeons and Dragons make me happy. Um, and Dungeons and Dragons is going to come up a second time in this script. Just going to leave that out there yeah, for yeah. everyone. So, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, so the Thieves' Cant is a fun mm-hmm. thing. There's a, uh, like the Amsterdam Dutch dialect actually has mm-hmm. a lot of influence from this, this Thieves' Cant, which is called Barhuns, which has like a lot of influence from... Um, yeah, just words from thievery, but also mm-hmm. uh, like Jewish, Yiddish influences and stuff. Cool. And like all mixed together in a fairly uh, sort of recognizable thing. And you have like Barhun's dictionaries that you can buy in like old bookshops and stuff. That's really cool. I, I want one, even though I um, lived in the Netherlands for a while and cannot pronounce Dutch to save my life. I think I pronounce it perfectly fine. The Dutch people around me don't think I pronounce it perfectly fine. So the laws in the Netherlands were, for a long time, they were favorable to squatters, at least compared to some other countries, like the U.S. In 1971, they got even better. Some squatters in the Dutch city of Nijmegen got run out of the house they were living in, and the owner was like, the house wasn't empty, it was for sale. They came into my for-sale house. Uh, the Supreme Court heard the case in appeal and was like, look, a house in use means a house in use is a house. And this established the concept of domestic peace in Dutch law, um, which is basically anyone entering a property needs permission from the current occupant, not the owner, but the occupant. So the person in the house with a bed, table, and chair has domestic peace, is the one who is allowed to decide who comes and goes. So from this point on for a while, uh, until 2010, but we'll get to that, legally, most squatters could only be evicted by court order. So the cops ostensibly can't just come in and arrest you for trespassing because you're the occupant. And this is all the the kind of the groundwork. People who have a problem, like I don't have anywhere to live, can address that problem by saying, well, this, this building is empty. And squats would still be evicted all the time as owners would basically, it's not like, okay, you become the occupant and now it's your house and you get to stay there forever, right? Owners would decide suddenly that they actually wanted to do something with the house. They, you know, they were just like, leave a house to be empty for 10 years. And then squatters move in and they're like, wait, no, I have all these plans, you know, and then they yeah, go yeah. prove that in court. And once they prove it in court, then then people would get evicted and you wake the sleeping dragon because the, they, they mm-hmm. just want to keep it lying around as like their uh, 
as their like uh, their savings basically uh, and their growth intra- invest and then people live in there and it mm-hmm. seems like oh maybe you're losing it then it instantly awakes them see that's still yeah flooding now yeah I just rewatched The Hobbit so this is extra true and so the first political squatters the the Provo movement overall and the the people coming from that they tried to be nonviolent in terms of how they were building a squat movement. And then on November 23rd, 1978, as a squat was being evicted, squatters lined up three rows deep. They, they linked their arms together and they shouted, no violence, no violence at the police. And you will be shocked to know, this will be absolutely, no one has ever heard of this before, but the police didn't listen to them as they were I'm chanting. Astounded. Yeah. So the squatters all got the shit beat out of them. And nonviolence fell out of favor in the squatting movement. And that's when the squatting movement started to get shit done, uh, mm. was when nonviolence fell out of favor. I, re- I remember a, a, an old photo. It's a, a, mm-hmm. a black and white photo of a, of a house squat uh, being defended. And so there's, there's people uh, lined up in front of it. There were like mo- motorcycle helmets in there. They have a banner in front of them, or maybe it's hanging on the, on the, on the building. I don't rightly know. Um, and it says, the andere kant... Discussieert niet over geweld. Ze gieten het in wetten en voeren het uit. Which means the other side does not discuss about violence. They pour it into law. So they, they pour it into law and then they act on it, right? They, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, some of the slogans that come out of uh, the squatter scene are really, honestly, really amazing and really poetic. Um, and then, so, okay, right around this time in the late 70s, the Dutch economy goes into this tailspin during the worldwide energy crisis. And I haven't fully wrapped my head around the Dutch economic troubles of 1979. I know that domestic natural gas production had been giving the Dutch an economic boom in the 70s, and that this had led to high wages and a strong welfare state. And I also know that neoliberal publications blame this for the crash. They're like, no one wants to work anymore because everyone gets such good welfare or whatever, um, which is once again, not familiar to any American that's listening to this right now. But it seems like the worldwide energy crisis is the reason that the Dutch economy went into a tailspin. Do you, do you know much about this? Huh. No, not not quite. No. Okay. Yeah. No. It's. Um. I mean, I couldn't tell you what happened in the late seventies in the U.S. economy specifically as relates to this. However, it happened. Unemployment surged up to seventeen percent by nineteen eighty four. Which, uh, for context, for some folks who are listening, this is higher than the huge spike we saw in the U.S. in March and April twenty twenty with COVID but it's lower than like the Great Depression, right? With unemployment though, homelessness surged. Around 1980 or so, there were 53,000 homeless people in a country of only 14 million people. So that's about 0.38% people uh, were homeless. And in contrast, the US is dealing with a ton of homelessness right now. It's 552,000 people out of 329 million. So 0.17%. It's less than half. The current major homelessness crisis that we're facing in the U.S. is less than half of what the Dutch were facing in the the late 70s, early 80s. And while all this is happening, the real estate prospectors are like, well, this rules. Like, okay, well, you know, let's just hold on to these houses and drive up the prices even more. Um, And I remember being told by squatters, and I can't source this, I remember being told by squatters that about a third of the houses in Amsterdam were empty for a while in the early 80s. Is that you have any idea of? Well, very, very, very mm-hmm. many, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't, I don't know the exact mm-hmm. uh, figure, but I know, I know, like currently, like now that the squatting movement is gone, mm-hmm. uh, or like it's not gone, but like it's diminished, um, you get like one third of the houses being sold now is like to like a big investor, um, mm-hmm. so they're, they're basically trying to do the same thing again. But uh, uh, no, there was like huge emptiness of houses. Yeah. Yeah, and when you have people who are motivated to do something about it, you have somewhat favorable laws, and you have tons of empty houses, and you have tons of people need houses, you get the squatters movement. Uh, and it it didn't start as a political statement or resistance to anything, at least not as conceived of by most of its participants, but it, it carried a specific important political ideal nonetheless, which is that you can just do things, right? That you don't need to ask the state for permission. Um, that you can solve your problems directly. And, mm-hmm. and it's because of this that it rejected the political assumptions of this. It, it kind of rejected a lot of the political assumptions of the left that had been going on before that. 
and it took on a more anarchist character. And of course, the provosts that it came from also were, you know, part of anarchist movement. And not in that all of the participants were anarchist, but that many of them were, and that the squats were intended as direct action rather than political action. One of the easiest examples to give of direct action also. Like, yeah. You want to explain, like, when, when is it indirect? Well, if you're trying to influence someone to do something, well, it's direct when you solve the problem yourself. Like, for instance, you need a house. Yeah. You get, you use a house. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. so simple. It's like one of the things as I was, I was writing this script, it's just over and over again and just run across this, like, no, it's just really like, it really just comes down to like, that building's empty and I'm cold. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it makes me really happy. But it's it's interesting. So I don't know mm -hmm. too much about like the history. Like mm -hmm. I haven't studied the history specifically, but we get we get like stories mm -hmm. uh, from people who are active for longer. Um, uh, and for us, like for me, like squatting is like this uh, sort of living uh, tradition or like long-standing uh, movement mm -hmm. that's mo aside all the other uh, movements. Um, but you but you can tell like the the origin of certain bits of like squatter culture in this, like the this very direct, like autonomous, just solve this thing by yourself. This very uh, DIY culture, yeah, uh, way of doing things. Like you instantly recognize it. Um, also, like among squats, like like the the direct direct support. Like I need to move something. I will use your buck feet. Yeah, you ask them, but it's like just assumed. Of course, you're going to need it. Yeah, like. Um, so oh, I was, like so, sometimes it's like so so fast that it, you're that like they sort of assume that you know you have their permission with some things. It's like <laughs> um, oh, you, but you're doing this thing, so you you want my buck feeds, right? So I, I had it there, like I cleaned yeah. it up a little bit because I thought you might want it. Yeah. Um, For anyone who's listening, a buck feed is a pickup a pickup truck bicycle. Yeah, uh, where the the bed of the pickup is in the front. And it is entirely based on the fact that the Netherlands is entirely flat because these things are gigantic and heavy and they rule, but I don't think they would work anywhere with hills. Well, I, I will say uh, mm. uh, the canal bridges in Amsterdam are still yeah, a bit of a challenge. I, I've, I've written a Bach feats full of stuff over one of those before. <laughs> um, yeah. Must do. Must try. Yeah. Yeah, and okay, and, and that's actually one of the things that I found so interesting, right, is as I'm reading about this culture that developed in the early 80s and late 70s, uh, my experience, for anyone who's listening, is about six months of living in squats in the Netherlands in like 2004, 2005. And the culture that I'm reading about as I'm researching this is just the culture that I experienced while I was there. And it's, you know, it had developed in a lot of ways that, you know, certain practices felt more concrete by the time I was there, but it, like you're saying, it's this living practice that continues. And it's so interesting to me because it's, I don't know, whatever. It's interesting to me for a lot of reasons. Uh, mm. So the early movement quickly found the organizational structure that it, um, that it continued to have for a very long time. And it's an organizational structure, kind of like what you're talking about. It's built on autonomy at every level, uh, but also organization at every level. Individual squatters are autonomous within their squat by and large. They live their individual lives autonomous but in coordination with their squat mates the squats themselves are autonomous from but in coordination uh with their neighborhood and then most of the organization happens at the neighborhood level each neighborhood has its own like a squatters council essentially that meets to coordinate opening new squats and defending squats and they acted autonomously from anything that's happening on a citywide or nationwide level yet individual cities and the entire country are capable of coordinating certain actions as necessary and I think this rules. I think this is a really good model. Um, and it the the beauty and strength of this style made itself clear um, that this worked really well. Hmm. Um, obviously, there's all kinds of things that went wrong with it, and you know, we'll talk about some of them later, but and and it 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 depends like uh, once this got going, like the 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 fact of its of its density that mm -hmm. so many people were squatting uh, meant that it it uh, it was able to to get to a kind of critical mass that mm -hmm. allows this thing to work, where um, like the the neighborhood uh, social centers and the neighborhood meetings uh, they they make sense once enough people in the neighborhood are involved. So um, right, uh, this very like if there's if there's if squatting is much thinner on the ground, then it's harder to coordinate uh, in this very direct local way. 
Yeah, no, that that makes sense. You probably have to work with larger groups um, depending on the the critical mass of it or whether you've reached the critical mass. Um, and so you have, so the way it would work, so you'd have these neighborhood-focused squat groups and they start breaking into empty buildings and helping people move in. And how this would happen, a group of people want a house. So your living group, they want a house. So you either find a house on your own or you go to the neighborhood squad assembly and you ask for leads. They case the house, whether it's the living group or other people. You case the house to prove it's truly unoccupied. You look up city records. You maybe carefully ask neighbors. You stick a toothpick or a matchstick in the door and then like see if that falls because if they open the door, the matchstick would fall to the ground. Um, you check on it every few days to see if it's still there. And if the building was empty, then they plan to move in. And in 1994, the laws were updated to say a building had to be empty for a year. So this part got a bit harder because you had to, it mm. became harder to prove that a building had been empty for a year. I know at least in one case that I was around for, people had been tracking that building for a year. And as soon as it was empty for a year, it was like the day it was empty for a year, they moved in. Actually breaking down the door is illegal, right? It's destruction of property. Unless you're the occupant of the house. This part always seemed very confusing to me. So it's like, if you break in, you're in trouble if they catch you breaking in. But if you break in and you get a bed table and chair in there, then it's okay. It's it's very it's, it's not unlike um, what's it called like green light green light red light yeah in a way. totally yeah because um, I've been standing here all the time I don't know what you're talking about yeah it's moving Mo me <laughs> um, and so so breaking and entering the breaking and entering stage has to be done very carefully right because it's it's illegal. Um, but you know what else is illegal are the amazing prices of our advertisers. Uh, with prices so low that they have to be criminal, I have to do an ad transition. Um, they they pay a fine for every product you buy. Like, <laughs> yeah, they want you to get it so cheap they'll just pay the cops off. Yeah, exactly. You the all of these advertisers have bribed the police. Here's some ads. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And we are back from those advertisers and we're telling you how to break into buildings. So the way to break into a building... Harder than it looks. I know. Um, so you set up the, the neighborhood assembly, sets up the squad action, kind of approves the squad action because it takes a lot of people to do this safely. And then dozens to hundreds of squatters congregate into some nearby location. Usually it's another squat or an apartment, something like that. Once you get the crowd together, you go out to the building. And the neighborhood's breakers group, which is a specialized task, usually not done by the living group, but like basically by professional locksmiths and shit, um, 
they'll have already cased the place, figure out how to break out, break down the door. They show up with crowbars, get into these buildings incredibly fast. Um, meanwhile, if the cops show up, which they often do because there's a large crowd congregated and the cops kind of know what's going on sometimes, the crowd keeps the cops at bay through various means. Um, and I'm sure at various points this has been more and less militant, but a lot of it just literally means standing there so the cops can't get through you. Blocking the sight of the breakers. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, so they can't see who's doing the actual... Yeah. Um, so then the door is open, and immediately you rush in a bed, table, and chair, usually shows up on one of the Bachfeets, and as well as barricading materials. The door gets repaired, or at least barricaded in such a way that it can be held shut. Um, and... Now the building is occupied. Well, one mm -hmm. note about the door. So mm -hmm. uh, I recently heard this, that in, uh, in French squatting, there's like a small variation okay. where um, uh, the breaking in part is, of course, also illegal. Mm -hmm. um, but so what they do there is they often, they, they'll just bring a new door and decide, oh, this has always <laughs> been the real door. So let's just bring a replacement door to show like, oh, it's all fine. There's nothing going on here. Yeah. And yeah, it's the surrealness uh, for me. I, I'm, I'm used to police being um, particularly aggressive people. Uh, the surrealness is sometimes intense where, you know, it's, it's this scuffle outside and then the door is broken open and then everything is inside. And then it's almost like someone's like, time out, we're in. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. And then like everyone lets go of everyone else. And then um, you specifically invite two police officers to come inside the squat to come look and see that it was in fact empty. And the part that makes the least sense from an American perspective is that there's a belief that the cops will tell the truth in court about what they saw mm. when they went inside the squat. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, like, mm -hmm. it, and to establish this kind of trust also is like very strange because the movement has just gone from like, okay, we will do uh, peaceful tactics uh, no confrontation, peace, peace, peace. Yeah, and then you have like more more militant struggle, and this is like uh, something that happens a lot. Uh, and then the the next moment, it's like, okay, so we're we're settled. Come have a look. See, we fixed it all. Yeah. Um, and not only like the the trust between them, but also then like the attitude switch shift from like the the police. Yeah, it's like okay, like you say, like the timeout, and now we're doing this other thing. Now we're just seeing whether the right procedure has been followed. It's like the boys in blue also enjoy hopscotch and no. <laughs> yeah. It. I, I got to admit, this is the part that I, I, I. If anyone in the U.S. feels like they want to start squatting, more power to you. But don't use the specific tactics necessarily. Um, they look different in different places for different reasons, and including different times. Right? Like uh, mm. we'll talk about a little bit later. This is no longer how you can do Dutch squatting. But okay, so now you have a house. Um, and kind of in this simple mechanism of basically now you, you move in and now the real estate prospectors have to shift what they're doing. And they, as you're saying, wake the sleeping dragon. Um, it, the squatters kind of in the early 80s started destroying the real estate speculation market uh, and started forcing property owners to keep buildings in use. And so it was a social good for the squatters because they get to keep a house for a while. But it was also a social good for Dutch society more broadly because it keeps neighborhoods from going derelict. And there's this tension where some of the squatters are like, we don't give a shit about what's good for Dutch society more broadly. Um, but still fucking interesting. Um, yeah. So there's again, like this is all sort of like, like a reformist branch mm -hmm. of it where you say like, well, actually it's good. It's healthy for the, for the housing market. And you can right. value that or not, but like at least you can see that it's um, uh, at the very least. And you can use this like also as an argument against people who are like saying like, oh, that's not okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at least that can bring them in. Maybe is that it yeah. is it is functional for that for that market. Um, have you ever seen that video? Uh, How wolves change rivers. You ever seen that? No. That this story about like okay, you have Yosemite Park, right? Mm -hmm. And there's uh, and there's uh, or like uh, I think it's Yosemite Park or some some big area, and there's way too much like uh, uh, bison there, cat, some kind of herd, uh, some kind of herd animal. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no predators, so they go everywhere, and they they uh, they eat all the grass, and they trample the ground, so the riverbeds get soft, and the whole thing becomes like this big um, swampy bog where not much else can live. 
um, or at least like specific mm-hmm. other stuff, but it's not that biologically diverse. And they and they introduce wolves, um, and the wolves. I think no, so it's not it's not bison, like it's deer. There's this, this okay. big these herds of deer, um, and the wolves. There's only a few of them, but what they do is they force the deer uh, to be careful about certain spaces because they know like oh this is a this is an ambush spot. So if I stay yeah. here, they're gonna they're gonna get me. If I stay here too long. They're going to get me. So they get more picky. Uh, they get quick on their feet. They avoid certain areas. In those areas, uh, trees come back because yeah. the young trees, they can grow up without being grazed to death. Yeah. Um, and then in the trees, different new uh, animal species get reintroduced, birds and stuff. Um, and it was, uh, find this a nice, nice metaphor for it because it shows like um, if, you, if you prod them, if you say like you can't just get everything you want, then other things can blossom. Yeah. Um, which no, is interesting, but it sense. also has the problematic side when you see like mm-hmm. this reformist attitude towards squatting where people pretend like the, uh, I don't know, the helping to grow an art scene. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that can be helped in this way through squatting, but it was never the point. And if you make that into the point, then it can be used against you as saying, but that's what it's about. We've made a new art program. So blah. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we don't care that you still can't find housing if you're poor or whatever. And like, um, yeah, because like the point of it is the direct action. If it has symbolic benefits or other benefits that come out of it, that's not the. No, that's interesting. And then. So. To start making this more concrete in the history of it, on November 1st in 1978, six adjacent 17th and 18th century buildings on a canal called Kaisergracht got squatted. And the whole complex was called Groot Kaiser or Great Kaiser to distinguish it from... Groot Kaiser, yeah. Yeah, that one. Groot Kaiser. Uh, I'm going to call it Great Kaiser throughout uh, to distinguish it... So there's another, I think there's another squat called the canal called the Little Kaiser. That's the best I could figure out, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, and this yeah, is right. Must, must have been there with so many. Yeah. Uh, this is right in the center of Amsterdam. And about 50 people were living in Great Kaiser. All of the squats were first and foremost living places, right? Because that was the whole point. And this one in particular was more of a flop house for squatters and travelers. People coming through would, would come stay here. Less than a year into the occupation, on October 26, 1979, the courts ordered the residents to leave. And they were given a month to get out. Most of them do. Most of them like, all right, you got us. You know, time to go find another place to squat. But then the squatter movement of the city as a whole was like, no, fuck it. We're going to move in. It's time to take a stand. It's time to fight eviction. And we're going to make a symbol out of this place. So squatters from around the city move in and they barricade the compound. And they decide to actively defend it. And this was a bit contentious because some squatters were like, no, staying mobile and flexible is our strength. We shouldn't defend a single place. This isn't about symbols, whatever. And other people are like, no, we need to show that we're strong, right? Um, And some people, of course, are like, I will die to defend the Kaiser, which is really funny to type out because, um, you know, they mean something very different than most people say. They will die to defend the Kaiser. So waterbeds were all the rage, right? In the Netherlands in the, the early 80s. So people were throwing out their old mattresses and box springs left and right. So squatters started grabbing all the box springs off the street and then weld them over the windows of the squats. And I have never seen more ingenuity in fortifications than I have seen from Dutch squatters. Um, and, and I want to be clear, when I say Dutch squatters, I'm, I mean squatters in the Netherlands rather than people who are necessarily like Dutch, right? Uh, it was an international movement even at that time. And later, like there's this whole thing that's happened where there's this like whitewashing of Dutch squatting culture because I think people realize that it like saved the city and is the reason there's art scenes and shit. Um, and so there's all of these like articles that are complete lies that are like in the beginning, all the squatters were good social minded Dutch yeah, people yeah, yeah, who yeah. wanted rental properties. But then the evil internationalist anarchists showed up from all of the other countries and they were made violent and destructive. And it's. Sorry, it was violent, destructive international anarchists who saved your art scene. Like, yeah. With... Well, so there's a, f- a few things. Like a lot of okay. a lot of the radicals were not necessarily uh, anarchists. Like there were a lot. Yeah. Of, like, okay. Fair enough. Kind of, like mm-hmm. autonomous Marxists, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And more of the anarchists have remained, I think. Um, okay. 
but it was it was very mixed, but also not super white at all. Well, so the area that had like the most squats in Amsterdam mm-hmm. during like around this time was uh, the south southeast, the Belmer, um, mm-hmm. and this was squatted like by mostly people from from Suriname. When mm-hmm. after like the uh, in Suriname gained independence, a lot of people uh, were given the choice. People were given the choice like where do you want to live in the kingdom of the Netherlands, and a lot of mm-hmm. people from Suriname came here. Um, uh, and a lot of them were denied uh, social housing on the basis of you know racism, mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of them started squatting uh, in the Belmer, which is like uh, almost like a separate uh, chapter of the squatting movement that which gets rarely gets talked about. Okay. No, yeah, I, that that is super interesting to me because yeah, everything I was reading at first would just be like. And then the squatters did this, or even then, then the Dutch squatters did this, and then it'll like kind of like as a throwaway line talk about people who weren't Dutch at all, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's histories are not always written the best way. While the while the stale counter arguments often remain the same. Oh, it's the people who aren't really Dutch who come here and make the trouble, while everyone who's really Dutch would never do this, would never. Yeah, because you're supposed to love your country, and you're yeah. Yeah, whereas um, there are plenty of Dutch people who hated their country who are doing this too, you know. Yeah. Uh, so a month goes by, the month that the people at Great Kaiser are are there, and the the city doesn't fucking dare move on the place. It is too well defended, and rumors start spreading about a huge police mobilization building up to evict it. Another month goes by, and nothing. So the squatters they're tired of waiting. And they decided to go on the offensive in what they declared D-Day, a declaration of war on the city's politics. A hundred demonstrators from all over the city attack city council with fireworks and smoke bombs. Um, the whole attack only takes 15 minutes. And I think maybe everyone got away. I couldn't find anything about anyone getting arrested at this action. Um, but you know what else will get you arrested? Buying... <laughs> Goods and services. Okay, well, now let's do a different. Um, okay, so we try to be on this show. We try to be sponsored only by very positive things. Um, the our our longest standing sponsor is the concept of the potato, oh, not yeah. any individual brand. Okay, so I'm wondering if you have any um, specific positive thing that you would like to be sponsored by for this show. Being being Dutch, I already love the potato, but mm-hmm. I would like to yes. tack on this this the concept of deep frying things. That's okay. Okay. Oh yes, that is a that is a great sponsor. So 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 our podcast is sponsored by the concept of frying things, food specifically, mm-hmm. um, and 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 every everything else uh, is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Deep fry also does your your appliances. Like my deep fryer, so good can deep fry bits of deep fryer. Ah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Okay, we are back from those ads all about the different things that you can deep fry. Every service or ad that you just heard, uh, you could deep fry. Yeah. Including the podcasters. If it was ads for podcasters, you could deep fry the podcasters. <laughs> so at Great Kaiser... They start stockpiling other things to deep fry, including rocks for throwing, gas masks, fireworks, smoke bombs, and paint bombs. And if you're wondering how to make a paint bomb in this style, you take a fist-sized balloon, you dip it into wax, then you pull out the balloon, then you fill the wax ball with paint, and you cap it off with more wax, and then you have a paint bomb. The squatters set up a pirate radio station called the Free Kaiser, the voice of the squatters movement. And eventually the bed springs over the windows get replaced with welded together steel planks all held together by construction poles, um, which is like this. The construction poles were everywhere. I, I, I love them. They're just extendable poles that. The Bows Temple. Yeah. Yeah. The Bows Temple. And uh, one of the more ingenious things that the Great Kaiser Squatters did is they set up counterintelligence programs all over the city. They tracked the police. People posted themselves at police stations and at riot police training grounds waiting to see if there was any sign of a raid on the squat. Hundreds of people waited on standby. Um, every squatter and squat supporter in the city was part of the squat alarm phone tree, which was basically like, if you are a squatter, you care about squats, you're on this phone tree. And if something happens, if the alarm goes out, everyone who can be fucked to get out of bed gets their shit together, gets on a bike and goes over to where the alarm is. I've seen that. I've seen a poster of that in a in a squat recently. Well, not mm -hmm. in, in a in a legalized squat house, but um, yeah. So they they had like the the map of like going from like wherever is the the main place you call to spread it, and then going mm -hmm. into like the different areas, different branches, different groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, yeah. I was really impressed by the the squat phone tree, which was still in place and in use twenty five years later after. After this, yeah, and these were all like house house phones, like the landlines. Yeah. Um, so nowadays you will have like alarm signal groups or whatever, but um, but back then it was like house and landlines. Yeah. And so since Amsterdam, I don't know if you knew this, but Amsterdam has a lot of canals in it. Um, <laughs> Venice of the North. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has almost as many canals <laughs> as Venice, and it's like mostly known outside of Amsterdam for it's like you know weed or whatever, but um, it it canals. Very defining feature. And the center of the city is sort of a ring of canals. And so there's there's only so many bridges over the canals to get to the Great Kaiser. So what each neighborhood council did is take responsibility to block and barricade one of those bridges in whatever autonomous way that they saw fit. Which is a good system. As long as you don't have a bunch of people you're expecting to flake. If you have a bunch mm -hmm. of people you're expecting to flake, this is not a good system. But the eviction kept not coming. Uh, later, it was learned that the mayor kept calling it off because it was too risky, which makes sense. It was mm -hmm. too risky. It would have gone really badly if they tried to evict the Great Kaiser. In January 1980, a demonstration of 3,000 people marched past, uh, all while people on the roof waved squatter flags. And Sophie, do you know what the squatter flag looks like? I, I do not. Should I look it up? Eh, I mean, like, it's a flag with a squatter symbol on it. Do you know what the, uh, not to just put you on the spot, but. Have you seen the squatter symbol before? I've looked up what this looks like. And uh, is it is it like a lightning bolt N with an arrow on it? Yep. I like it. Yeah. In a circle. Yeah, in a with circle. With a circle, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this, the squatter symbol, I, I was always really curious about where it came from. And this is where it comes yeah, from. Yeah, what's the origin of that? It's, like, so the, it's so interesting. So nobody very knows. Okay, but it looks like it would be like a superhero's like emblem, right? right. On there, it's great. Um, nobody knows okay. the origin of it. So there's I was ideas. just getting embarrassed. Like fuck, I don't even know, but nobody knows. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. When okay. you asked me, I was like, uh, no, it's like. But I'm just really excited about this part because um, <laughs> <laughs> because I've I've wanted to know forever. I know so many people with this tattoo. Like right. Yeah. And 
what it is is that um, okay, so yeah, it's a it's a circle with a sort of lightning bolt or end cutting through uh-huh. it that sticks out of the upper right with an arrow on the end on the extension I out like, the upper right. I like right. the arrow. Yeah, and I always got told it was Nazis out, uh, which is cool, but that's not what it originally was. And I'm like, that's cool, but okay. Yeah. Um. So. In 1979, at the defense of the Great Kaiser Squat, uh, it first got used, and then it got quickly spread to Berlin and then the rest of the world. And the first incarnation was on a support poster, and it was a straight arrow through a circle. Um, And there are only guesses as to what it means, which is really frustrating, because there's a decent chance that whoever designed this is alive. This is only 40 years ago. But it possibly, the most common guess is that it comes from the American hobo symbol for keep going, uh, which is... But it could also have been derived from an older European rogue symbol, kind of from that like kind of thieves can't stuff we were talking about. Um, and there's an illustrated language that goes back to the medieval era. And those symbols had started to die out by the beginning of the 20th century, but then they had a resurgence in the 1920s because everyone was fucking poor and hobo symbols are cool and crime is cool sometimes. Um, later, it became a lightning bolt. And again, there's like all of these, like I've read academic papers about people trying to figure out how it became a lightning bolt and all this shit. Um, My theory, which is not supported by anything but me saying it is my theory, uh, around this time, and this part's true, around this time, the theory of action and the squatter symbol embraced the lightning strike is what they called it. Or instead of riots that would stick around and wait for the cops to come beat you up, all the squatters would target some specific building or whatever, show up in huge numbers trash the place, and then fuck off. And not all the lightning strikes were directly physical. Some of the targeted attacks that they would call lightning strikes were like um, pissing a real estate prospector's mail slot at his house or send him bed bugs in the mail uh, or order expensive things in his name delivered to his house, like send him a funeral wreath, I think for Whoa. himself. Um, the other most likely origin is that probably some designer was like, this looks cool, and then went with it. It reminds me a bit of um, how, uh, uh, like the the anarchist symbol, like the circle A for mm-hmm. anarchy is order. Yeah. Um, there's there's this uh, there's the idea like who who designed it or what. Like, yeah. Um, some people said uh, Thomas Ibanez designed it, um, mm-hmm. and he he recently wrote a book like uh, Anarchism is Movement, which is quite nice. Um, but he's known for denying that he did not that he uh, designed <laughs> this. Uh-huh. Uh, in uh, Paris during uh, uh, the uh, uprising of May '68. Yeah. Um, so he's he's famous for saying he didn't design it, while other people disagree. <laughs> I want I want the squatter symbol version of that. I want the guy to come out and say I didn't do it. But yeah, everyone's yeah, like, right. but did you? So anyway, that's the squatter symbol. It's Great Kaiser too well defended for the police to attack. So in February 1980, the police start attacking the squatter movement, but not at the Great Kaiser. There's all these small skirmishes all over the country. There's arrests, there's evictions of smaller squats. One such squat was the Vandelstraat, also in the center of Amsterdam. On, on leap day, February 29th, 1980, the police evicted some squatters from their home. The squatters didn't want to be evicted. So a head-on clash between protesters and police ensued. And there's like rocks versus batons and tear gas. And it's the first really intense use of violence by the squatters. I read later mainstream reports that claim that the squatters used uh, Molotovs at this time, but I don't believe this is true because I have all of these, I've read all these reports from squatters at the time about when they did uh-huh. decide to use Molotovs about five years later um, as because of the violence against them had escalated. It was a very conscious decision. The, the violence that the squatters were using was always measured uh, in a kind of impressive way. Um, and they, they won, they drove back the police and they retook their house. They took the entire intersection and they held it over the entire weekend. The military came in, it took a thousand cops and soldiers with a literal tank and like helicopters with snipers and shit screaming, stop or we'll fucking shoot you before they lost on Monday. Uh, 50 cops were injured at that riot. I haven't found a, a record of the number of squatters who were injured because the report I found was from a, a mainstream perspective. I'm just uh, I'm just wondering, like, um, mm-hmm. maybe it's gonna come up. There's at some point there's a there's a building with uh, with like re- refrigerators on top and stuff. But oh maybe yeah, you're yeah. getting to that, aren't you? Uh huh. Yeah, there's gonna be some refrigerators on top of some buildings at some point. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, the touch squatters are like some home alone ingenious shit. Um, <laughs> but like just the, just to un underline, so they they mm -hmm. drove off uh, a thousand police and and military who arrived with armored vehicles. So that they, they lost once a thousand police came. Oh, they sorry. they won all weekend, and so mm -hmm. the the state had to go gather their forces and show up uh, several days later um, in order to to drive them off. And during all of this, the great Kaiser is still being defended. It's no longer a house; it's a fortress. The ground floor was barricaded so much that no natural light came in. People, I think, people defending this just like lost their goddamn minds and were like, "This is it." I mean, I would too, right? If I was in there, I'd be like, "This is fucking it," right? Um, People worked on the house all day, I think all night. People kept watch on the roof 24-7. But at their six months under threat mark, they threw a party in the street and they had like bands play on boats in the canals outside or the, the canal outside. They they drew up multiple lines of defense, one behind the other in case of attack. Like all of this shit that like is like straight out of like mm. how to defend a fortress books from fucking 18th century writers and shit. And at this point, their counterintelligence extends outside the city. They have like sentries fucking everywhere looking for large movements of police. And in the midst of all of this, the Netherlands decides to crown a new queen. You might have oh, yeah. heard of this, this woman. Uh, have you heard of Queen Beatrix? Oh, yes. Yes, I have actually. Oh, yes, I have. Surprising. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm such a loyalist. I still re uh, uh, refuse to... Uh, Acknowledge that the 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 royal holiday, which used to be Queen's Day, has now become mm -hmm. King's Day because uh, her son took the place. So oh that's yeah, the kind it would of be. Huh? Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Queen's Day um, is weird. Um. Yeah, no, wow. So, um, so that was still before. Yeah. While the Grote Kaiser was mm -hmm. still being being like under threat, besieged. Yeah, oh. yeah, because she um she gets. Uh, court, she gets crowned on April 30th, 1980. And so that's like six months, more more than six months into the, the great Kaiser defense. Queen Beatrix, uh, I learned, was married to a literal Nazi named Prince Klaus. Oh, yes. yeah. Served in the Nazi army. Yeah, it was like a SS officer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> it's not no, like... No, 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 no. Marry the literal occupier of your country. Um, no, but that, that's, that's so, mm -hmm. so, so, so terrible. Like, the Netherlands has this uh, weird sort of like progressive aura that it, it do really doesn't deserve. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you look at like the, the, the royal propaganda uh, around around this stuff, it's it's just it's just crazy. Like uh, people pretend like Dutch resistance in Second World War was like uh, mostly like patriots and mm -hmm. people who thought like, oh, these Nazis they're being so weird and modern, and we just want our regular Dutch values, uh, which is of course not not true. Like these. Uh, these were all radicals. They were communists mm -hmm. and anarchists, etc. Mm. Um, and there, there were like a few others. And then, so like the longest running uh, musical theater show in in the Netherlands is Soldat for Oranje, Soldier of Orange, which okay. is about uh, this uh, uh, so it's like a royalist uh, resistance uh, fighter. Who, huh. Like if you look historically, he was someone who once once the war was over wanted to help. Uh, Queen Beatrix's uh, predecessor reinstate like a, an actual powerful like near absolute monarchy. Uh -huh. um, so not at all someone like defending democracy uh, <laughs> against Nazism or something. No, no. But they 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 just wanted to pick a name of like a, an important resistance figure to celebrate mm -hmm. that wasn't a radical, right? Yeah, yeah. That I wish that yeah, surprised but like, me. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, that's it. Just today. You also see all these these photos circulating of uh, Queen Elizabeth doing mm -hmm. like the uh, the Nazi salute. Um, <laughs> uh huh. So yeah, it it really does run in the family, I suppose. Yeah. Wait, were they related? I, all the queens and shit are. <laughs> yeah, this all incest. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say it's incest everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I ran across all this like girl boss shit about Beatrix. You know, like, mm. well, she managed to become queen despite the laws that say eldest sons get priority in secession. So it's just the fucking, and he was watching House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. It's just that, some fucking girl boss shit where like, now I get to be queen. Um, but without the dragons. Yeah. Yeah. It which sucks. Really and the wigs. I know. Well, 
I wouldn't put the wigs past past But her. not the silver down to your waist right. wigs. Right, totally. Beatrix would totally rock, rock like a wig if it was more like socially acceptable to change that and stuff because she's like in this like conservative base. Mm-hmm. But like she... She has like so many different hats all the time. They're like so many yeah. people like full time working, like developing new hat technology just for Queen Beatrix. <laughs> like, it, like I, I cannot imagine that she would not love to have like wigs everywhere and like uh, fascinators and brooches and everything. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah. So the the squatters are like, all right, we have a new campaign. Uh, which I'm going to ask you to say the name of because it rhymes in Dutch, but the campaign is No House, No Coronation. Yeah, uh, it's a famous slogan. Geen woning, geen kroning. Um, so much uh, English, come on. I know, get with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So Jeez. no coronations, no crowning. Okay. Yeah, um, so no living, no crowning. Yeah. Okay. And so it's like, look, if we don't have houses, you don't get to be fucking queen. You're no housing, no crowding. No housing, no crowning. It's like almost rhymes. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, okay, no housing, no crap. Okay, okay. And so they declare the whole month to be a month of action. They're like, on April 30th, we're going to disrupt the monarchist spectacle and open as many houses as possible. Um, and what's going to happen with it is where we're going to leave it today because we're going to leave it on the eve of the coronation where probably, uh, I think nothing bad happened. I think that Queen Beatrix was... Um, like a truly kind and beneficent benefit good, uh, like a, a Disney queen. Um, that's how it went, right, Alex? Kind-hearted, yeah, uh, merciful, sort of. Yeah, uh, yeah. She saved that Nazi. Of, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> she she's saved so forgiving. That Nazi. She's so so forgiving. <laughs> it's yeah. great. Yeah, Margaret. we love her. Uh, oh. Well, you can find out what happens if you listen to part two. On Wednesday. Yeah. Alex, do you have anything you want to plug at the end here? I do. I do. Um, so you can you can find uh, you can find me on uh, the website onderstrom uh, dot red. Um, so if you know anybody who's Dutch or <laughs> knows Dutch and can listen to it, uh, Dutch language radical stuff. If you know like a Dutch person who says, "Oh, there's only liberal stuff here," or no, but uh, Arjen Lubach is really, really radical, or Rutger Brechtman is uh, really, really important. You know, send them to onderstroom.red, also on Instagram. Um, but the real thing I would like to plug more importantly is the uh, soon upcoming Anarchist Book Fair of Amsterdam, uh, which uh, uh, will feature this year for the sixth year in a row. And it's like grown to be like the, the biggest uh, radical event of the year in the Netherlands. Uh, despite the the pandemic, and it's it's uh, in the last weekend of October, 29th and 30th of October. Uh, so if yeah. you can make it there, if you're in the area, uh, drop by. It's two days, Saturday and Sunday. Um, find information on anarchistbookfairamsterdam.blackblogs.org, uh, or find them on uh, Facebook and Insta with the same name. Cool. Do recommend. Yeah. I'm really, yeah. I was going to go and then I um got a dog. Uh, yeah. But someday I will go. And uh, Margaret, you have a book coming out, correct? I do? Yeah. Did, I re- Did you? Is this the one that you ghost wrote for me? This is the one that uh, my, my dog Anderson ghost wrote oh, for right. you. You can find um, uh, the book We Won't Be Here Tomorrow written by Anderson the dog. Uh, or me, um, you can, I don't know why I'm going with this joke. Uh, it's coming out from AK Press September 20th, which is soon. soon. Wow, it's really soon. It might even be in the past. No, I think it'll be in the future if you listen to this when it first comes out. Um, and then you can read all kinds of weird stories. And if you, you have to pre-order it in order to get the little cool art piece that Cassandra, the cover artist, drew for it. So that's a reason to pre-order it. And we'll talk to you all on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Bye. Yeah, talk to you next time. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.